Be honest. You're listening because you know we say some wacky shit. Listener discretion advised. Close your eyes. Find your center. Because these folks are going there. Taboo Topics are back on the table. All right, welcome back, everybody. I'm LeJohn. I'm Joe. And I'm Matt. And welcome back to the Going There podcast. Today's episode is one that really encompasses the rest of the topics because it's all about mental health. And we're not just going to talk about mental health from a clinical or therapist standpoint. We're going to talk about it from a personal standpoint, because really, that's what it's all about. Mental and physical health are important, and they're tied into each other. And I think finally, we're seeing the dawning of the age where people understand it, respect it, and the stigma is going away. So let's help that stigma fade away even faster. LeJohn, who's with us in the studio today? Matt, today we have the wonderful, the amazing, the beautiful, the universally talented Olivia Queener. If I say she's a great friend of mine, that would be selling it too short. Um, Beyond a great friend of mine, a wonderful love of mine. And Olivia Queener, like all of us, has had some experiences in life that um, that can tie into our topic today. As much as I want to say I'm grateful for her experiences, I also wish, just like all of us, some of our experiences never took place. We truly don't know until you walk into somebody else's shoes and hopefully she can enlighten us and educate us on things that we may think we have an idea, but we don't know shit. Livia, thanks so much for being here. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm embarrassed now. No. Oh, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Um, I was nervous, but I'm now know that I'm with family, so I'm good now. That's absolutely right. We've adopted you whether or not you wanted us to. <laughs> and we're dysfunctional. What I learned about you recently is that you are a military veteran, which is an accomplishment in and of itself for anybody in the armed forces, but also you're a woman of color, which just makes it that much more difficult, I can imagine. Yeah. And you know, what's funny is that they don't tell you that part. Um, My father was in, so I always saw like a strong black man, you know, inside the military force. And you guys were in the Navy simultaneously? Oh, that's awesome. Actually, like for our last year, like the last two years, Daddy was coming in, and I actually uh, retired him. That was pretty cool. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> Get the fuck out. I can, I, can, <laughs> right. I can handle it from here. America's safe. Okay? And like literally, like the traditional thing is called I have the watch. And the words are, I have the watch. You can go to sleep now. I have the watch. And it was, you know, it was time tight. That's beautiful. Uh, so when I asked the strong black woman that I saw when I joined the military, is it different for a black woman? She looked at me dead in the eye and said, no. Nah. And I said, she is lying her tail off. <laughs> Do you think she did that? Because she's like, if I tell you, yeah, like it's, you need to learn this. Or I, was it a, you're on your own? No, I think it was literally the old black woman stamina on mental health and what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be the strong, whatever comes at us, we're just supposed to just take it, whatever uh, dart. I'm sorry, I'm not the cuss. I'm a sailor at heart. <laughs> Whatever bullshit you want to just lay on a, a woman of color, you've just see strength and that, oh, they can handle it. Yeah, this is bullshit if I had to deal this, if this was gone to, you know, I'm sorry, Becky, I always go Becky. <laughs> this would be tragic if it goes to her. But 
if it's since it's me, it's since it's a black woman, this is you can handle this, you can embrace it. That's how we view like mental health. That's how we view our lives. And I think as that moment, when I looked at that woman and asked her, this 50 year old woman who's been in the military, the same military, the Navy that my father served in for at this time, she probably been in 15 years. She was a senior chief. She was high ranking. And she said, no, there's no difference at all. She lied. She lied to protect me. She lied to protect our heritage, to protect our, what we considered our strength, what is we considered as a black woman, and I have considered as myself, this is our voice. When I look at that and I look at myself in that situation, if I were that woman and my daughter were to ask me that same question, no, it's going to be hard. It's going to fucking suck. But you know what? You can do it. And you can't do it just because you're a black woman. You're not doing this because you're strong. You're doing this because it is embodied in you from birth that you can bring life and you can make the situation work. Not because you're black, just because you're a human being on earth, period. As time has gone on, have you appreciated the lie, though? I appreciate the lie at the time. Because mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. time, I needed the lie. I needed to be able to play the game. First of all, did you ever say, oh, my God, Becky, look at her butt. It is, like, so big. Oh, my God, like, <laughs> all the time. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I'm assuming this would have been 90s? Yeah, it was, like, my earliest start. So I think I joined around 97. What I was going to say was you probably had kind of like the overlap with your dad. He's leaving as you're coming yes, in. Yes, daddy was leaving. I think there was a generational thing just within for black females, for women in general in the military. You were also at a turning point. And so from from how you said it, I guess I respect what where that woman was coming from. Societally, the burden is heaviest on women of color, Right. Mm-hmm. As in, white men are at the top of the totem pole, and then you have white women, and then you have people of color, and then women of color. And then and, queer women of color. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, true. Yeah. Making a yeah. rise. And then yes. trans. And then yeah. trans, yes. So the, the point is, and it's like- Somewhere on the middle. Not like, the middle, the bottom. Yeah. Scrape. But like you said, you're expected to be stronger. It's kind of like, we expect the people working- in the basement of this company to work the hardest and the people at the top, we just need to manage the right, money. Exactly. It's like, it's like if Martha Stewart gets in trouble and reprimanded, it's cruel and unusual punishment because <laughs> she's not used to it, <laughs> right. which right. is kind of fucked that that's also something that we are like, well, I can handle this because you're always shitting on me. Yeah. That's right. fucked up. Fuck so that it's, shit. Like, it's like you're just a trauma after trauma. Like, you know what? Yeah. This Oh well that's our you know trauma what? boy. That's <laughs> <laughs> our trauma girl. This wasn't as bad as last week, you know. <laughs> <laughs> did you have to do any tours overseas? I'm very proud. I did fourteen years in a service. I served as a hospital corpsman. I'm a fleet marine field force corpsman, which means that I'm out there with Marines twenty four seven. That means you're a green side corpsman. There's two sides of corpsman. There's blue side and there's green side. And if you really were like a real corpsman, you know, there's hospital side too, but we don't talk about that side. (laughs) (laughs) So there's green side, blue side, and hospital side. And I did my 14 years. Out of my 14, I did 13 with Marines. And I was a green side corpsman. One tour in Iraq and one tour in Kuwait. Did you see any action or or were you pretty much, because of what your role was, were you kind of removed? No, um, you wish that you were removed. Um, I saw more than I like and I don't want to talk about 
That's that's completely understandable. I appreciate, and I appreciate you being honest. <laughs> My dad joined the Navy in 1969, I think, to avoid essentially getting drafted to Vietnam. <laughs> mm-hmm. And because he was the only guy in his entire ship who knew how to type, he went from being in the, the real shit deck to working in the captain's office, being able to use a private bathroom. Right. So my dad, my, and my dad, he had so many friends who joined up with him like, eh, we'll be on the ship. And they all ended up boots on the ground in, in Nam. And that's something totally, you don't sign up for boots on the ground. Like right. when I signed up to, matter of fact, I didn't even sign up to be in the Navy. The Navy didn't even want me at first. It took me a year and a half to get in the Navy because I had a GED and I had two children. I originally wanted to be a Marine. But the recruiter in the Marine office said I had to wait like two years for my kids to be adopted and something. I was like, well, yeah, whatever. Like, Coast Guard. Look, Demi Moore already signed up. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, <laughs> you got over that hump. GI right, Becky. Like, right. <laughs> yeah, that was a great yeah. movie. <laughs> By the time you're coming out, they're just now starting to accept and respect PTSD. Mm, no. No? I'm going to tell you this. I got out in 2012 in the military, and it was one of the hardest decisions I had to make. At the time, I was getting a divorce. Of course, I want to keep a job that's going to keep me 24-7, right? Like, I'm going to have stability, income, all that. The last command that I was at, I was bullied to the point that I couldn't even breathe every day. And it was because the head of my command that I was in, this small little community that I was in, was actually friends with my ex-husband at the time. And he heard from my ex-husband's side of the divorce. So now I'm under his leadership who heard this side of the divorce. And this man, I promise, tortured me every way he possibly could. Wow. But I would not let him get me. And I'm even surprised I'm even talking about this. You know, your personal experience is, at least in the larger context of this conversation, more important than any facts I have. But what I was going to say was, after we went back into Iraq and Afghanistan and everything in the early 2000s, post 9-11, soldiers started coming back and they started finally recognizing PTSD. And PTSD obviously does not only apply to military. Of course, military. And- but they're finally, they were finally starting to go, these guys are coming back. We're starting to see some trends here before because mental health there just wasn't a lot of respect for it. It's like, be a man, your father and your father's father and his father, they all fought in war. You know, they all lost limbs and they're all good. No, you know, there's, there's the physical ailments. And then there's obviously the mental part, which is probably even, I think is way more on the mental side, but at least from a societal standpoint, they started to recognize it. No, it also is evident of like people who are supposed to be on the same team, literally for your country, are also fighting at each other because they're not strong enough mentally. Right. I mean, who is this third party who's choosing to like take sides like in you high don't school? You get a psych test to go into the military. That's an issue. But the psych <laughs> test is not to help counsel, it's help to you know, well, kill. Also, if I guess you might be like, well, I guess I can see the other side and maybe instead of right. fighting and murdering, we should just what? like talk. Bin Laden <laughs> seems what? like Have a cool guy. Have, yeah. <laughs> Have we ever had coffee? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know you. Sit down. Like, do you yeah. have brothers and sisters? Well, exactly. And to be honest, selfishly, We'd be fucked if people didn't join the military. Is so that, it's kind yeah. of like a. Yes. Will we really? Because then again, yeah. I mean, but, but well, if the all, whole world adopted right, it. Sure, right. But that's what I'm saying. It stems from 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 the top or from the beginning, if you will, as far as who's in control of the shit. Because of the people 
who are running or who are pushing the buttons in regards to the military and war and things like that, if they actually took the time to use the sense that we're hoping that they had, we wouldn't be in these situations in the first place, right? We would like to hope, at least. If we suddenly are like, look, we're a peaceful society, we're Switzerland, we're neutral, we're whatever, um, that doesn't stop people from going, well, they're vulnerable, let's, yeah. let's fuck them up. Just, China, I mean, we have enemies who want to see us fail. All right, let's go off that because I don't want to piss off the armed forces because I have a lot of respect for it. And it's, I don't want to even say it's their fault. It's, it's not their it's fault. It's not their fault. It's the machine. No, it's not the people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. It's the 1%. It's the, 1%. As it's the, it's the machine that's been going on for 3,000 years. Yeah. yeah. It's J.P. Morgan. Patriarchy. Yeah, J.P. Morgan, Chase. <laughs> yeah, Rockefeller and Carnegie and all well, those guys. Like we, were talking about, we were talking about Wag the Dog the other day. It's like, let's sell the war to make money. I mean, more, wars are not just about like right and wrong. It's obviously. all about money. Yeah. All right, Olivia, before we get too deep into things, for our musical guest of this episode, we have Parker Silzer. He attended Brown University, and at Brown University, he studied everything from classical orchestration to electronic instrument building, earned the Ron Nelson Award for Excellence in Music Composition. How about that? Right, so Parker splits his time between New York City and L.A., where he works as a freelance engineer, songwriter, and producer. And you can also catch him on tour with Sony recording artist Kitten. Thank you so much for the sounds. Great stuff, my man. Enjoy. Okay, we have a guest speaker who we are going to be patching in. Her name is Mandy Kirsch. She is a licensed counselor from Akron Family Institute, and she's going to talk with us a little bit today from the therapist side. This isn't free therapy, just so you guys know. We're all chipping in yeah, yeah. to pay. We, tri- we tricked her. <laughs> Mandy, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me on here. It's really um, an honor because I have such a passion for mental health. So I was, I'm excited to be here with you guys. Give us a snapshot of your background. Yeah. So I um, have been working in mental health for the past nine years, which is crazy to think about. I went to Akron for my graduate degree and then I started working at nonprofits and then I just got into this private practice where I'm now part owner and I'm an independently licensed counselor. And I used to just work with kids, but kids, teens and young adults typically is who I'm working with now. And the reason I thought Mandy would be a great guest, because not only is she candid and very human and, and friendly and just understands this topic, but I think when most people think therapists, they think, you know, they think Freud sitting in the corner with his glasses just analyzing you. And she right. and she is obviously not that, but also mostly has a background working with younger people. And really, that's where mental health needs to start. So my parents put me in therapy as a kid, but it wasn't real therapy. It was church therapy. And let oh, me tell no. you, that's a problem. <laughs> because, because I mean, I'm not kidding. I was told multiple times, you know, Matt, when you do that, you know, that makes God sad. <gasps> 
No. Do you know how damaging that is to a kid? And I'm not asking for pity here. Well, give me a little bit of pity. Oh, but, oh. Yeah, can oh, we do the... God's, oh, God's sad now. Can we do the full house when Michelle would like pout and, and the audience would yeah. go... Oh. Oh. I'll be the one guy in the audience. Man, fuck that shit. Yeah. yeah. Cut it out. So, I really like being on this show. This is You guys are just hilarious. I love it already. We're our own biggest fans. So... Yeah. Um, <laughs> I want to say we all have our struggles. We all have heartache. We all have pain. Olivia has definitely experienced a lot, and we've only touched on it in the first part of this episode. She certainly has experienced not just the horrors of war, but also discrimination within the the military for multiple reasons, and being a woman of color only adds to all of that. Olivia, I I think especially with Mandy on the phone, because she, like, I'll say the wrong thing. I'll make another Becky joke, but I feel like Mandy might have something more intelligent to say. Let's pick up your story where we left off. So you're out of the military. They don't do, like, exit therapy. I will say for the military, they will do group um, out therapy for you. It's um, more in a classroom setting. It's more like your ticket to go home. Like, you got to check off this box to go home. Yeah. You know, you go through, like, your, uh, I don't know, prerequisite class. Yeah, 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 yeah. like, oh, yeah, I I did that, (laughs) you know? Yeah, they do stuff like that. Are you sane? And you're like, yes. And they're like, perfect. (laughs) Right, that's what we needed you to say. Totally great. Can you breathe? Let me see you. All right, that's good. (laughs) Here's here's your DVD of Top Gun. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) You're good. (laughs) What's life been like since then? What's life been like over the last 10 years? So when I first got out, um, it was hard. At two years, I could not find a job. People saw the word military. And even though I didn't have the diagnosis of PTSD or anything like that, or it's even on the application process, they immediately assume that because you came from this background, that you had these issues. It was the first actual interview I had. It was like two years afterwards, it was a dental assistant office. And I was, all I was doing is answering the phone and scheduling appointments. That was it. And she was like, well, with your background, are you going to have any problems with I don't know, anger and things like that. Well, wow. (laughs) Like I'm just, I'm sitting down. Really? (laughs) You haven't even met me yet. Wow. But um, in her defense, and I will have to backtrack. I did get out in 2011, but I got out because I was actually facing charges because I was actually going to try to kill my husband because of a PTSD issue that was not addressed at the time. You feel me? Like it was everything they told you textbook wise that you're, this is, you're going to see this, you're going to see this, you're going to see this happen in that moment. How did the military, I know you said they made you do like a group classroom sort of exit interview essentially, but it, there's a lot of stigma about the military and mental health. Was, did they discourage you or encourage you to go see a counselor after oh, your time? No, 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 or, no, 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 no. No, okay. During the military, no, you were not allowed to see counseling. You wow. were not allowed to see mental health. Yes, it was encouraged with a head nod, yes. But looking you dead straight in the eye, if you do this, it is deemed as weakness. It is deemed as you can't handle your home. If you can't handle yourself, how the hell are you going to handle my troops? How can I leave you alone? You're responsible for a hell of a lot more than just you and these weapons that you have in front of you. And are you going to kill my family? Pretty much is how it boils down to. That's so backward thinking, though. You would think that they'd want you to be on your you best mental think, game. Right, right. So fast forward to the veteran side. I've had the most help and it's been amazing. Like I went through, through PTSD, the VA, through the VA, through veteran. And it was like, 
where were y'all? There's a whole like military sexual trauma unit. What? Wow. I didn't know this was available. You know, there's an LGBT unit. The veteran office offers so much on the back inside that you have to wonder, like, if you didn't come in on the precursory side, yeah. you know, would you have to have to offer it, all this? It, and it's almost kind of messed up because it's like these amazing services are here available for you. I mean, right there. And it's almost like they're saying, yeah, we know you're going to need this. Shit. <laughs> right. So let's just go ahead and put this over here to the side after you do everything that we need you to do. But don't you worry. We got you on the back end. Let's go ahead and kick some ass first. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It's like, it's oh, like yeah. damage control. I, um, I unfortunately, I've, my, my son um, had committed suicide. And even though I was going through depression and all these things, that I needed to change the life that I had in front of me. And that's why I even seeked out the sources that were there. I didn't even know that they were available until it came to a point in my life where I had no other choice but to change. Something has to change. Yeah. yeah. And that and that's why I like I love the VA for that side because it's yeah. like, well, if you asked me about my military service maybe less than two years ago, I've been like, what? No, I didn't serve. Now I will probably tell you I serve 14 years, U.S. Navy, veteran, hospital corpsman, pharmacy tech, go for you every mile with the Marines right there. You know, like. I can tell you that's my call sign. My call sign was Doc. You know, I was Smurfette. I'm Doc. You feel me? <laughs> <laughs> Smurfette because I was blue and I'm short. Yeah. <laughs> and Doc because yeah. When I said that. when I said person of color, I meant blue. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, I think it's government thinking because I thought of something. I had a meeting with a big county in a in a different state when we were trying to pitch them safety training. And the woman who came down was a government employee who oversaw risk. And the thing is, they allot for essentially a certain amount of risk because it is, if we don't hit these numbers, we got to lay people off. So we need our job security. So she started saying, we need to create um, essentially remedial or follow-up training for people who've had accidents. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Except... You need to train them to not have accidents in the first place. Training them after the fact is There's kind no of putting a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. Right. Well, you're trying to kind of keep money out of our pockets. So let's just slow down for yeah. a second. For the first half of the meeting, I thought she was just dumb and not getting it. By the end, I was dumb and not getting it. <laughs> oh, I get it. You want people to have accidents. Cool. Yeah. And you know what it was reminding me of? Um, Mandy, you said you would think that they would want you to be on your best mental game. Right. But it seems like there's this shame in mental health and therapy. Um, Olivia, you were saying it looks like weakness. But yeah, it's like if you're a pilot, you have to get in a certain number of flying hours. Like, why can't you see it like that and say, you know, as somebody who is mentally strong, you need to get a certain number of hours of like therapy mental hours yeah. therapy training. I remember a time that a guy had came in and he has said he is having these problems, that he has mental health issues, and he wanted to kill himself, this, that, and the third. And I remember the guy running over, handing him his nine mil and saying, here, you can use this. And I remember, I remember laughing. I remember laughing. Yeah. And the part that hurts me the most right now is because I laughed with them. Because the part of me was like, this is wrong, but you're right. Yeah, use this. We got this on us all the time. You're faking what, but it's not. And to see the reverse, the flip of it, is like, really? Yeah. But <laughs> really? you know what? I, wow. I, this is my opinion. Don't hold that against yourself because that is, you're talking about norms and culture. 
and and conditioning. Right. right. And like Lejon, you played sports. I played sports, man. Remember being in the locker room during football practice or something? The adrenaline's hot and you say and do stupid shit you would never do in the real world. That's exactly. what I'm fucking saying, man. And I'm sorry that I said stupid shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, seriously, man. The, the, up in that moment, in the culture of the moment and everything and what this environment is supposed to make me feel and make me do and make me think. I'm sorry. If you're in the military and you don't act a certain way, you're going to be ostracized. You're going to be ostracized. Oh, my gosh. Right. If Oof. you had said to him, like, no, I don't want this. Like, what are you talking about? Can you imagine you know, the backlash? Or, no. or or go and report him. Oh, my goodness. That's Report? like That's, that's Report like the law, law enforcement turning on each other. It's like, oh, he's one of them. Oh. My last right. duty station, my leader, to me, he leaned over in my ear. He said to me, he said, you know, most people have depression and they just get the fuck over it. Oh, you just need to get the fuck over it. Hey, that's, oh, the, that's, that's how, how it works. He leaned that over me that? and that's what he said. You oh. need to just get the fuck over it. As he was strangling and a cat. I promise you, <laughs> right. on God, I said, there is nothing in life right now that's keeping me alive other than my, at the time it was my four children at home cooking. You know, like yeah. that's the only thing keeping me alive day to day. As Captain that. America famously said, if you get killed, walk it off. <laughs> that is just that is just like That's such exactly what they want exactly, you to do. Yeah. Just, uh, no, just get over it. it. It's just that's just such a nonsensical statement. You know, oh, let me just work on getting over my mental health issues. Let me just let me just stop that right there. Right. It, it's hard. So, Mandy, as Olivia is telling her story, she's talking about, you know, it unfortunately came to a breaking point when you're in the fog you don't realize that you're in the fog, right? Right. And I think that there's a lot of people I know that I've worked with and for myself personally too, where I've been, you know, not myself, didn't even recognize I wasn't myself. And then, you know, I've had a friend tell me like, Hey, are are you all right? You're not acting, you know, okay. But you know, then you compare that to the military and people expect you to be in that fog and be okay while in that fog. I couldn't imagine where for me, you know, as a civilian, I'm able to go say, you know what? You're right. I should probably go talk to someone. You know, Olivia, you didn't have that option. Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) So, Mandy, what are some of these like trigger warnings that you notice that you've been experiencing over the years? Mostly it's it's little things that kind of build up. You know, it's my house isn't as clean as it normally is and I don't care. I'm going to let my dishes sit for a week and and that's fine. You know, it's little things that build up. I'm not sleeping. I'm a little bit more fidgety. I'm maybe snapping and taking things out on people that I normally wouldn't. Maybe I'm getting some nightmares. Maybe I'm isolating more than I have been. It's those little build up things that don't seem like a huge deal to you. But after some time, it all adds up. And before you know it, you're like, shit, I'm a mess. You know, like it just it just builds, builds, builds. And sometimes those trigger warnings aren't obvious. And then there's some obvious ones like, you know, I can't stop thinking or I'm starting to get really weird thoughts, you know. So there's some more obvious ones. But typically, it's these little tiny things that you start doing that aren't like you. If you have the flu really bad. It seems impossible to remember what being healthy was. (laughs) Right. I think same thing with with mental health, which is when you're in it, you just think this is normal, right? Right. And then you get angry and defensive when someone tries to call you on it. You're like, what? I'm being I'm being normal. What are you talking about? This is my normal. Or I'm just going through a phase or you know, I'm just having a bad day. I'm just having a bad year. And military (laughs) aside, I, I think that my family in Ohio is very adverse to therapy. Like, it's just, 
it's just very looked down upon. And, you know, I was in New York for 10 years and did therapy and it was normalized. And it's just still very stigmatized, at least within my circle of relatives here. So I think that it's really hard if you do need help to yes, speak definitely. up and, right. and yeah, not be judged. I remember as a kid, I was pulled from the house because it was an incident that happened and we had to do court order therapy. And my mother said, as long as you sit here in this room and you don't say a word, we would be okay. She said, so sit here in this room for this hour, and the counselor would ask his questions. I wanted to divulge my entire heart. Mm. This was my time to tell my story. Right. But I knew that if I went against this, I would lose my entire family. So I, 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 yeah. I don't know. I get it. I, I, yeah. I, I get it. Yeah. I, I get, get yeah. the silence. That's just so many, so many examples of how many factors are against speaking on it. And yeah. talking about it and everything. I mean, here's an example we talk about with 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 your mom. I mean, it's it's mom. Yeah, right. Okay. And and then and then you got the the bravado. And when you we talk about you know or the, or the the tough perspective when it comes down to like to the military, you know, oh, just get over this shit. You'll be fine. Don't worry about it. It's just just all these factors that are just pounding on the concept of hey, it's okay to talk about it. And that's what has to suck, being muffled by people and by entities. That you actually respect and want to be there for, you know? Right. Damn, exactly. it has to suck. Right. Well, and then to kind of get that message from your mom, like these aren't the good guys to talk to. Like you have, like you, you know, mm, I want to talk yes. about this, but it's that message of these people are going to take you away from me, you know. So right, what are you yes. supposed to think about mental health with that type of thinking, you know? And then to make it even worse, what if you can't even talk to mom? Right. Damn, let's talk about that. It came to that point. Well, when, you know, it came to my son leaving, I couldn't talk to my mom about this. She didn't know about a child being gone. All our kids are here. So, you know, it's generational issues. Uh, The boomers, I think especially, Mandy, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like the boomers are the most uh, adverse to getting help. I agree with that. I would like to know the history of that because... Not necessarily in the 50s, but before that, if you wanted to divorce your wife, you could just put her in a mental institution and that would be okay. Like that so, still happens. And it still happens. So, yeah. But I'm saying the stigma of being wary of mental health providers and institutions. So can I address sense. that? Yes. Yeah, please do. When I was in the service, I was sitting there. I was like, oh, my God, they could lock me up at any minute because my ex-husband had me locked up at any minute. He would get upset and I would be locked up. Like he would just say, oh, she's having this pseudocidal adulations. She would just say the magic words because you're medical and you know what the fuck to say. Right. You know, and all of a sudden I'm here because they have to keep you. And it being military, you know, they're going to stick by the letter of the law. So I had to be there at least 72 hours. And <laughs> I had no voice. I couldn't talk. I was a grown woman, independent in my own. And still my fucking husband still had a voice over me. Yeah. In the same military that we both signed up in. That's so anger inducing for me to hear. It's just insane to me that because he said you had a suicidal he ideation, said. they didn't tell you that you didn't say that to them, but they still kept you. And that there's so much wrong with that. There's so much wrong with that. It was. And I, I, I appreciate you saying that. And I appreciate that now that I can see that. LeJohn, what you were saying, it. It really goes back to there would be n- less need for 
I guess, kind of like intensive. There would be less medications needed, less resources needed because we could talk. Do you mm -hmm. think I could ever talk to my parents about what was going on deep inside me unless I was able to relate it to, I don't know, Noah's Ark or some fucking shit? Mm -hmm. and, and I've addressed that with them in modern times. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I essentially experienced spiritual abuse, mm -hmm. but I didn't know how to even use that word until right. I went to therapy. Right, right, right. And don't get me wrong. I think everyone needs to be in therapy anyway. Um, right. So go to Mandy at Mandy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, shirts, shoes, pants, therapy. Yes, absolutely. And and I think that there's that stigma that, you know, Matt was talking about earlier. And I think that is being brought up now and that especially it sounds like in the military, but also in, you know, the boomers world and just the world the shrink, today. The old head still, shrinker yeah, idea. Yeah, there's the, the shrink. They're going to shrink your mind. They're going to label you and you're going to have this really bad experience and, and you're going to feel, you know, so tiny. And that's actually the opposite of what therapists today want things to be like for you when you come into their office. You know, one of the things that I think is so important to recognize is that your therapist is not perfect. We go through our shit too, you know, and that we're not here to be on a high horse judging. You know, if people kind of recognize that for the most part, most therapists want to be there to walk through it with you, not be there to judge you about all the shit you've done. But at the same time, there's still that worry, that stigma of like, what are they going to diagnose me with? Or what's wrong with me? You know, and it's... But, nothing you're you're going through life man <laughs> you know it's just you you had some trauma happen like we all do you know <laughs> exactly it's not even to say for instance if you grew up in a household where you could talk to mom you can talk to dad and it was so fantastic and i can have these great conversations i can be my absolute self and it's not even to say if you came up in that environment that you would never need therapy well you you were able to talk to your parents so therefore how dare you even think that you need to have someone you have to talk to professionally about this shit but can you imagine if we all grew up in that household as a parent you're not equipped to be everything you can't be True. a teacher and a mom and a dad and a best friend and all these things yeah too many hats not to mention because your parents are part of the equation. So, LeJohn, you and I could be best friends and talk, tell each other everything. But if I'm having a problem with you, I need to go talk to somebody objective from an educated standpoint. Right. Also, I, why, why put that all on your friends all the time where it's just like maybe you're like, yo, LeJohn, I can't wait to get pizza. Oh, we're doing therapy. Okay. LeJohn's disagreeing with me. <laughs> I got, I got and, a fire in my stomach about that shit, man. Let me ask you this because this is where I was getting at with you. I'll put my bigot hat on for a minute. Um, <laughs> no, we we talked about in the black community the kind of like fear and you know separation from wanting to see doctors. Does that overlap in the mental health? You better believe it does. Yeah, and exactly, right. exactly, and because we, we can't expose that shit. The, there's a trust factor or lack thereof. Uh, you know, as far as anything outside of the black community, there's a understanding factor that we pretty much think you'll never get in the first fucking place. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's like, oh, these people are going to trap me and take all my teeth out <laughs> and lock me up. Yeah, pretty much, yeah, And seriously. then make a bunch of money on me. <laughs> Mandy, so, how much does a molar go for these yeah. days? Right. Well, you know, it's it, it, it depends on how nice it is, you know? Yeah. <laughs> how, about a, how about a gold one? <laughs> that gold one, woo! Oh, yeah. no, that's... But I do, I think that that makes such a good point. And there's a lot of families where their family motto is don't talk, don't trust, don't tell anybody anything, everything that happens at home, stays at home. You know, it's such old school thinking, but it's very relevant, you know, in so many different communities where it's like, no, you don't tell people what goes on inside your home. That is not okay. Then there's that other factor where it's just like, okay, well, what do you call the person who did worse in medical school? 
doctor you still call them doctor right. like they still make <laughs> right. mistakes and and so it's there's that other fear of even just like messing up messing me up right <laughs> right. Yeah. right and and yeah i think there's so many people i can't even tell you how many people come in my office and say okay don't judge me and i'm like that like giggling inside because i'm like oh if you only knew <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah, like i have nothing to judge you on trust me <laughs> and i've lied to my therapist before or i've obfuscated Absolutely. and yeah. i've yeah. also been like we've all done that. or i've been like you know this lady is telling me that I'm good this that and the other but she doesn't even fucking know <laughs> right like, you know right. me I'm awful so, yeah. therapists are imperfect but that doesn't mean they're not great at their jobs and the thing is Correct. as a therapist if you're completely disconnected are you really doing your job the human brain can only handle so much so you're taking on all of this pain and you're helping these people shoulder it and work through it of course it's going to weigh on you it doesn't mean you're not good at your job if you weren't to do that, would you be any good? I mean, you're a fucking human. How about right. that? Well, and I think, too, you know, a lot of therapists are in therapy, you know, and, and I think that that's a beautiful thing because, first of all, we need to know what it's like on the other side. We can't just do as I say, not as I do. The other thing is, is that if we're not mentally healthy and dealing with our own stuff, how are we going to help everyone else deal with their issues? Olivia's like, I'm really dealing with shit with my husband. Oh, you have no fucking idea. My husband's exactly. way worse than like, yours. Do you even know what I deal with at home? Oh you want to talk God. about that? No. If your patients give you cause to need to talk about it in therapy... Can you talk about it or is it patient client privilege? When I'm in therapy, I talk about my stuff. Gotcha. It's one of those situations where, you know, we all are dealing with our own stuff in our life as well. And so I'm not really going to therapy because I need to deal with what my patients tell me. It's more dealing with my stuff so that I can help everyone else deal with their stuff to the best of my ability. So my stuff isn't blocking everyone else's issues. It's more about that than it is other stuff but i that's a great question because a lot of people do get nervous yeah yeah about, you just like, are you gonna out there. are you gonna tell everybody <laughs> what i'm saying and it's like no i promise like it's 100 percent hipaa covered or confidential here it's good i promise see mandy mandy do you know why i love that so much and and, and i'm gonna jump on this real quick yeah i have a 15 year old and a 12 year old and i can't stand it personally when people say my kids come first my kids come first and that may sound so fucked up but let me explain why how can I be the absolute best for my kids if I don't come first. Right, exactly. How can yes. I, yeah, if, if, I'm not yes. at, if I'm not at my full strength, then how can I even give them a chance to be at their full strength? I got to come first. That's a beautiful, That's beautiful, beautiful thing. Yeah. It is, it is. And I think that's something where, you know, we talk about self-care as parents, as a therapist, as, you know, humans in general. We, we think of it as like, oh, I'm going to go take a bubble bath, have a glass of wine, whatever, you know. <laughs> and, and really, self-care is kind of ugly in a lot of ways. It's like, no, I'm going to go work out even though I don't want to because I know I'm going to feel better later. It's I'm going to tell my kids that mommy or daddy needs a timeout because I don't want to blow up on my kids, you <laughs> You know, it's the stuff that you don't want to do that's taking care of yourself. It's going past some of your own boundaries in that way so that you feel your best. Olivia, I want to ask. So unfortunately, when you lost your son. Yeah, we glossed over that, by the way. Well, I, I purposely let us touch on so we can go back. I think yeah. it'll be a little bit easier yeah. once we've, yeah. we've touched on it. Definitely. How long ago was that? Um, I lost Isaiah Aaron Smith. 2018, I think. 
Yes, 2018. I say I think because honestly, um, my life has been a blur since. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, well, and then the pandemic happens right after, which only makes it that much worse. <laughs> which I'm going to be totally transparent. I didn't notice the pandemic. <laughs> I was still hurt. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I'm still going through yeah. my shit. And then I was like, oh, wait, y'all are going through something too. Right. Oh, I can relate. (laughs) Naturally, it's got to be some kind of a tipping point in regards to saying, you know what, something else has to be here for me to get through this. So um, I touched on earlier that I'd already suffered from, you know, depression, major depression, all these things, these little labels that they gave me before. But what that really boiled down to Olivia in life is that Olivia didn't want to live. Olivia had nothing to live for. And when my son died, I realized Olivia did have something to live for. It was her children. And now that one was gone, what the fuck does Olivia live for? Not that I didn't have any more children to live for. It was just that I don't care. A soul, a part of me is gone. It's gone right. forever. It's it's forever. It, it'll never be replaced. When I decided that I wanted to live is that, am I going to live the life that I had before? Which, in truth, your children are a reflection of you. And in my life, if my very soul, my very heart decided like, you know what? This shit ain't enough. I'm out. What am I showing? So from that point, I had to decide that I could show my son, my daughter, my sons that I have left, my daughter there, that this life is something to live for. But I had to show them something. And I had to find something in me. And when John touched on the fact that, yeah, you live for your kids, you can't. You cannot live for your kids. You have to live for you. And self-care is ugly. It's disgusting. It's selfish. It's the ugliest shit you don't want to fucking do. Mm -hmm. Is Mm -hmm. that self-care is knowing that if I walk out that door today, I am going to be no good to no fucking buddy. If I don't lay here and sit here in silence at five fucking 55 in the fucking morning and pray to God that you just have the universe just engulfing me for just two seconds so I can give the world just a piece of me for an hour. Because I know this hour is going to cost me. This hour is going to, I probably won't wake up tomorrow. I'll probably be in the bed tomorrow. I'll probably be in the bed for the next week. Because this hour is my soul. And I'm giving my life at this moment. And I know it sounds dramatic, but God, I promise God that I wouldn't do nothing less. That my life will give honor to my son. Not for my son. Not because of my son. Because I am my son. Because in that reflection in the mirror has got to show better than what I've been seeing, better than the black woman they've been showing me, better than all the shit that they've been showing me in the world. It's got to be better. And if I can't give the world better, then why the fuck am I here? Why the fuck do I have a mic? Why the fuck do I have a voice? Because I'm <laughs> I'm the shit. <laughs> I've tried to kill myself a thousand times. And guess what? I'm still here. So clearly, I'm the shit. Yeah. Oh, God, I'm so glad I got that out because that is my soul of why I wanted to be here or why I even wanted to say anything. Thank you. That is beautiful. You want to talk about fucking bravery. Thank you. That was that was awesome. Can you sit back for a second and understand from the outside looking in how hard it, it has to be? Can you sit back for a second and just try to imagine 
Because that's all you can do is try to imagine. Because if you haven't walked in those shoes, damn it, you don't know and you won't know. And guess what? You fucking don't want to know. You don't want to know and you don't have the right to judge anyone else that's going through their shit. So if someone's sitting there walking you and they had a bad fucking day and all they fucking did was walk in a pile of shit, you fucking and you cry with them for walking through that pile of shit because you don't know that pile of shit. The only thing we have in life to offer is to be a subject matter expert on ourselves. And I say that Hmm. because to become a subject matter expert on yourself, you bring light to the world because i became a subject matter expert on myself i'm able to sit here and share to you the greatest being i gave birth to my son isaiah aaron smith my very special earthly stranger and i didn't need a book i didn't need pictures i didn't need my urn outside i could just do it with my voice and tell you not even tell you his story because i don't have it to tell i just thank you <laughs> We thank you. That was beautiful. But it is important to know who you are and come to terms with all of the deep, dark wounds that you have. It's your responsibility as a human. It's your responsibility to own them, and and in in owning them, you forgive them, and then you can then you can live your life. And sometimes. Forgiveness looks like peace. Yeah. Sometimes forgiveness looks like blocking a number or sometimes forgiveness looks like, hey, can we have coffee? Mm-hmm. Right. I would love to see a day when Olivia stops beating herself up over yeah. the things that she really had no control over. I mean, her story is extremely heartbreaking and unique to her, but there's so many people going through so many things all the time and everyone's pain is as real to them Uh, When I was going through one of the darkest parts of my life, I was recommended by somebody else to read a book, and it's pretty simple. But it's called The Gift to Listen, The Courage to Hear by Carl Jackson. Have you heard of this, Mandy? I have not actually heard of that book, but I'm going to look it up. Um, Tell me about it. So it's very easy to digest, but basically it lays out all of these horrible uh, listening habits that most of us have. Oh, yeah. And so, like, one of them is co-opting, and I bring that up because I'm a horrible co-opter. Lajam will be like, man, I had a really rough day, and I'll make it about me. Oh, yeah, that's my thing. <laughs> See what I just did? <laughs> that was good. Yeah. You know, my intention isn't to one-up you. It's to say, oh, I understand. I can empathize because here's what happened to me. But the problem is I'm not listening to you. Uh, and I'm certain body gestures and, and, and movements and stuff like that have it, it a lot to do with it. It talked about active listening. Yeah, yeah. It talks, and it goes through all of the bad listening habits. And most of us do at least some of it. There's, oh, like one of them is the quick fix. Mm. Where it's like, you know, I had a really rough day at work. And it's like, well, why don't you just take tomorrow off? It's like, I just wanted to vent. And that's why friends are okay to a point. But after a while, we all bring to the table our bad communication and listening styles. That's why therapy is so freaking important because you have people who have studied and work on this all the time. And yeah, they're flawed, but goddamn, they're way better than any of our drinking buddies. Yeah. Well, you know, and I think that like, well, a lot of my friends are counselors, so that's not fair for me to say. But I think (laughs) You just sit around and analyze each other. So you are lusting after your father. That makes a lot of sense. (laughs) (laughs) Like, wow, some, some stuff's going on there, bud, you know, but it's hard, though, too, because you want to be there to listen to your friends. But most of the time, you know, and as I've said, you know, counselors need a counselor 
we need to go to that outside source because you can't analyze yourself. And I think one of the most beautiful takeaways from what Olivia just said was basically just saying, you need to know yourself. It's your job to know yourself the best. And I think that you know, that's such a big deal. And so knowing, so Matt, knowing that you sometimes are a, a, what was it? A co-opter? Co-opter. Yeah. Knowing that about yourself is a beautiful thing because then you can know and know what you need to work on. And, you know, sometimes you do need that third party to go, Hey, what's going on there? You know, are you sure this is something that's not bugging you? You know, I'm going to give everybody homework. Honestly, it's such a simple read. It's not very long. It's more like a uh, manual on good communication. And I learned so much about myself because I'm reading it and I went in defensively. Like somebody asked me to read this and I'm reading it. I'm like, oh, God damn, I do all of this. Oopsies. <laughs> Except for the good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> if there's one thing I really pride myself at, it's being a good communicator. I'm sometimes a horrible listener. But in general, I try to be the best communicator I can. And I I owe a lot of it to this book. So I hope this guy's going to start, uh, you know, paying us some money for plugging this. <laughs> right, but, but honestly, right. honestly, I, str- I do strongly recommend it. Again, it's about self-awareness. And that's what we were talking about. What's the title? I told you. Uh-oh. The Gift to Listen, The Courage to Hear. The Gift to Listen. By Karl Marx. No, I'm kidding. Carl Jackson. <laughs> I want these episodes to live on far past the pandemic, but obviously the pandemic has just exploited how bad the mental health situation in our country is. And Mandy, what has been your experience with what's been going on recently and kind of the lack of resources? Like the last year or so has been a whirlwind. It's been crazy because we had to all of a sudden go from seeing people only in office. Insurance actually before this didn't pay for teletherapy. So all of a sudden insurance is now you know, saying, okay, we'll pay for teletherapy. And then we have to figure out how do we get teletherapy going and how do we do this stuff? So that in itself was just one big project already. But then you have people who are then losing jobs. You have people who are staying home with their kids all day. Like what? Kids are hard, man. The divorce business is also doing super well. Yes, it is. I mean. My mother-in-law works for a a divorce attorney. And I mean, they don't have enough people. (laughs) Wow. No, No, it's sad. (laughs) Wow. Sad. And it's also then, you know, parents have to become teachers as well. It's just, you know, all of these things, all of these things happen. But then, you know, we kind of had an interesting downside where people weren't really coming in or calling in as much. And we were like, wow, isn't everyone going through a tough time? What's happening? And all of a sudden, within the last month or so, we've been getting this influx of people wanting to come in. And and I think people are starting to kind of, they got through the holidays, they got through kind of the biggest slump of everything. And then now they're like, holy shit, look back at this year. I need help. You know, and I think now is when people are starting to feel that. So we've had people calling in in crisis and we're, you know, just for reference, this is the end of January that we're taping this. We're booked to March. Yeah. And I've called other practices to say, hey, are you guys overbooked? Because, you know, we need a place to refer people who are calling in and they're like, no, we're booked till March too. Like, we don't know. Go down to Jake's pub. The bartender is the Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Only open till 10, I thought. No. (laughs) He gives great advice, but sometimes it's hard to hear through his mask. Yeah. (laughs) Sure. Sure. I think it's I think it's more of a sad tale and kind of a common one, which is people wait till they're at that crisis point yes. to call and try to get help. And that that's too late. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're like, I'm on a ledge and I need some help. And they're like, great, we have someone uh, maybe in March. Yeah, right. yeah. you're in the queue. You're in queue. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like it's it makes you feel a little sick inside from the counts, like from our business perspective, because we want obviously to get everybody in at the time they want. But we're also, you know, shameless plug. We're also trying to hire for counselors. So if anyone is um, a counselor out there looking for a job, you know, let me know. I actually have but, a psychology um, degree. I might put mine. So, there you go, Lajad. All right. Yeah, we'll, we'll chat later. We'll chat. Give him some therapy, actually. <laughs> His but, fascination you know, I, with boobies, butts, and wieners <laughs> needs to be talked through. No, it doesn't. You know, we do have a sex therapist at our office, so we can. Do we you can have get a sex there. therapist? We do. We do. It's just one of those things where it's like it's been a hard road for everyone, but we were already you know, kind of slammed before the pandemic started. But then, so then now, you know, I've been reading articles about this and they're saying that there's been three times more anxiety from 2019 to 2020 and four times more people that are depressed from 2019 to 2020. Also, I don't know if you guys saw this in the beacon the other day, but they said that alcohol sales have been up and I know you guys did a show on alcoholism already, which was great, but that's just another whole issue. You know, people are not turning to healthy coping skills or turning to booze, which you know, if you want to have a drink now and then, fine. But you know, we're we're going up so high in alcohol sales; it's a little concerning. Let me say it's too late. It made me think about the blessing and the curse of the smile when it comes yeah. down to mental health. And, mm. and smile, sweetheart. And what I mean by that is, and I'm certain you already know how someone can put a smile on their face and give you this perception and this this mindset that everything is just going so swell. Everything is great. Everything is fantastic. But behind that smile, there's some hell that they're going through. If I say, hey, man, how you doing? Yeah. What do we say? Naturally, unconsciously. Oh, I'm doing all right. Doing good. Getting through. Right. Right. Could be be worse. Yeah. And look, John, that's such a great point, too, because a lot. And and like we talked about earlier, you know, a lot of people don't know that they're going through something until it hits them all at once. And so it's helpful to know and notice. And, you know, and I can't say that I haven't done this when a friend said, hey, you doing okay? And I'm like, no, I'm great. What are you talking about? And my voice gets all high pitched, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm fine. What? <laughs> but right. I think that, like, you know, we, we have to not be as defensive about it and kind of take that seriously, too, and just kind of go, you know, right. maybe I should start to like look into this a little more, but at the same time, you know, and, and I don't mean to say it's too late. It's just, it's just don't wait so long because we want to be able to help you. But right now, see, you know, a lot of people, they don't recognize that like you can go to an emergency room. They're not going to necessarily admit you, but they might be able to assess what's going on and then maybe get you into a different resource, like a nonprofit a little bit quicker. So there is that option as well. The other thing that I would say is like every place you're calling says that their book Go on to your insurance provider's website, check that out, see if they have some references or some recommendations for you to try out. The other thing, too, is a lot of people right now out of jobs with the pandemic, you're in the service industry, you're doing all of these different things for yourself, or you own your own business and you don't have insurance plans yet. Whatever the case might be, there's a lot of places that will do fee for service. And they will definitely take a look and see, you know, 
what's your income level? And we can kind of assess based on and give you a certain number per session. Will you guys take GameStop stock? <laughs> um, you know, we'll consider it, but no. <laughs> where, where are some, um, is that something that you can easily just like Google and find that information online or is that? Absolutely. So if you go to your, well, for the insurance, you absolutely can just go to your insurance provider's website. and My insurance in your... provider's website is very out of date. So. Oh, so frustrating. Wait, 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 wait. I dig all the resources and everything and that's fantastic. But isn't that the blessing and the curse of the smile? And now I'm asking an uneducated question because the person who was going through this, they're showing the world this smile. And at some point, do they start to believe in that same smile and saying, hey, I'm all right. I don't need this. Shit. Oh, yes, they do. <laughs> yeah, some people do. And then some people are are kind of like, I show everybody how great I am. But inside, I'm dying. Inside, I am just dying. And so there's some people that do come in and say, no one in my life would ever tell you that I'm depressed because I always seem like I have it together. And and those are the scariest type of people to me because they're one step away from just cracking at that at some point. Those who do truly believe it, like you said, they don't think that they need help. And then all of a sudden they're, they're drowning underwater. It's awful. It's romanticized to be strong under duress or, or under fire, grace under fire. There's that Natalie Cole song, smile though your heart is breaking. That's been around for decades. And I can say from a personal, personal standpoint that, the times that I smiled the hardest is when I knew exactly what I was about to do. When you're in the most pain, you mean? In the or, most pain. Yeah. I feel yes. like but I feel like when I decided in my head, like, you know what? I'm not gonna be here anymore. I'm checking that's out. That's when I give the most. I don't understand it, but it seemed like felt like it just gave the most. I remember in the time in the military, that's the time I became um sailor of the, the uh quarter. Like the first time I ever did that, I was like outstanding in my presence and my uniform appearance and everything else. Like a release almost. It's like a release. Like, yeah. you know what? Balls to the walls. Fuck it. You don't give a fuck. I'm about to right. be on in a, in a second. You ain't got to worry it's about this It's kind of like more. a, um, like if you were able to accept yourself, but this is like a short term acceptance. Right. Like a whippet of acceptance. Like, yeah. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> For this 24 hours, I am the shit. Yeah. I don't care if you don't think I'm the shit, but I'm out. <laughs> Fucking whip it. Well, oh, whip it of acceptance. It's, yeah. oh, it of acceptance. it's that fuck it mode, though. It's so scary. You know, you're like, fuck it, whatever. And then you just put that smile on your face and you're like, everything's great. I'm great. Everything's mm-hmm. okay. But inside, that must have been the loneliest time of your life. Yeah. The other reason I thought Mandy was perfect for this is she also swears like a sailor. So that's why I thought. <laughs> I, do. I do. I can't help it. I want to throw my two cents in on this because I do, do. I think this is an important piece to the conversation what you're talking about is a paint job on a car that the engine is broken so being positive is a choice when we are capable of making choices for ourselves smiling and being positive are not the same thing no and and so that's the problem is we are so concerned with public image we are less concerned with personal awareness i do think it's important to wake up and say, today I'm going to be positive. Yeah, shit's going to happen, but you know what? It's not going to break me. That's not the same as saying, I'm going to smile at everyone because who gives a shit? It's not about them. It's about you. It's pretending. Another word for positivity, maybe a more, because that sounds like it's like a, a face you're putting on. Would you say like gratitude? I, I, I say comfortable in yourself. Okay. Confident. 
Yeah. You can show up to work and say, oh man, this day sucks. No one made coffee. Or you can show up to work (laughs) and be like, I'm going to try to do this today. I'm saying positive in the sense that, you know, you can look at it and say everything sucks or you can look at it and go, I'm going to make the best of this. Right. this? I'm going to make okay. my own coffee today. Right. As a leader in the companies who I've worked for, I've had these conversations with certain individuals. Look, man, this job is what you make of it. If you come in telling yourself your work is going to suck, you're going to prove yourself right. Positivity is a choice for those who have the capability. If you are in a deep, dark depression, you can't just get out of it. Right. LeJohn, you talk about this all the time. We all have a choice. Yeah. I can show up to this podcast and worry about all the things. Oh, man, how long are we going to be doing this? Why is there no coffee made? Why is there no coffee right. made? Why do I keep co-opting Joe's stories? <laughs> or I can walk in and be like, you know, I'm going to make today good. Joe's story is my story, too. <laughs> so what about the flip side of that? Slightly the flip side of that. And I dig all that, and I actually fully agree with that. However, what about when, um, like Mandy, how you say, you know, so how are you doing today? I'm great. I'm fine. So what about when we say, so how you doing today? And you get the absolute fucking truth. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So how, right. Yeah, how's and it going like, today? Well, yeah, this and is then what's up. so awful in our society is that then people are like, whoa, you actually told me how you were doing today. You know? Right. But that's about like appropriate context, right? Right. True. Like you're not going to sit at the water cooler with your boss and they go, how was your weekend? Well, my wife cheated on me, uh, you know. (laughs) And I found out I am sexually attracted to peanut butter. I don't actually will. I'd be like, do tell. tell." (laughs) Again, there's some good things in this, in in the book that I recommended, as well as the one we talked about in a previous episode about from Pima Kodrin, about kind of like taking it off yourself. As in, you're working on you for you, but it's not your place to burden other people with it. And that's where I would, what is that? I just have a thing from Pema Chodron. Like, I just pulled it up at the same, like, you co-opted my thought. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's like boring inception. Yeah, boring inception. Yeah, yeah. So what was the quote? I do want to hear it now. Okay, well, this quote, stood out to me when I was reading that book that you gave me. And it kind of makes me think of when you were talking, Olivia, about being in the military and how it shows weakness. A really great way for me to get power when I'm depressed is to be angry and to build up walls and point and blame. And this quote um, really spoke to me. Sometimes this broken heart gives birth to anxiety and panic, sometimes to anger, resentment and blame. But under the hardness of that armor, there is a tenderness of genuine sadness This is our link with all those who have ever loved. I just think that if we kind of realize there's a link, we are all sad. (laughs) (laughs) We're all pathetic in this shit. (laughs) So that's the end of this episode. Tune in next time. But it connects us. But yet we're wanted to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So ER over here. It doesn't matter. No, no, no. No, that was perfect. That was. I started watching the series Glow, and Mark Marin says it so subtly and beautifully all at once. And he says, We make all this room inside of ourselves for someone. And then when they're gone, that extra room is there and you don't know what to do with it. And and so whether it's a child, whether it's a significant other, whether it's a parent, we have voids in us 
and it is part of the human experience. But if we don't learn how to cope with those things and we don't try to cover it up or fill the void with something that's harmful or just delaying the inevitable, which is coming to terms with it, then we're just doing ourselves an injustice. Yeah. I honestly thought you were going to say boobies when you pointed at me. <laughs> you have no lack of that in your life. <laughs> we we talked earlier about the stigma. You know, you're working mostly with younger people. And so you would think that the parents who are bringing them in are like totally like, yeah, we want to get them started on a good cycle now because we're all about therapy. Right. A lot of people do. Yes. Um, which I can appreciate. Yeah. But that's not really always the case all of it in fact that's pretty uncommon sometimes i mean there are a lot i do have to give some people credit in that there are a lot of people who do bring their kids in and are like oh my gosh i'm concerned this is happening and that's great but you know i do have uh, parents who are divorced where one parent will come in and the other parent says I don't see anything wrong with this child. You're making a big deal or, you know, things like that where I don't, I don't want to come in. I don't need to come into the therapy sessions. And, and a lot of my experience with kids, it's honestly family therapy is what, you know, working with kids is in a lot of times because it's not just the kid, it's figuring out how to help with the kids and the parents and creating a different system in the house. Even there's times where I have kids who sit there and they're all angsty teens and they're like, I don't need to be here. And my parent made me come in here. So there's even You're going to tell me I make Jesus cry when I yell at my mom. (laughs) Yep. Exactly. No, but I think that there is still a lot of stigma to that. And I think that there's still a lot of stigma just in general in our country. And it shows just from what Olivia was saying that while you're in the services, you're weak if you go get this. And so then how do you expect people to go and get help when they have that type of mindset? It's it's really sad. And so I think that if more people were open-minded to the fact that, you know, mental health isn't about us judging, mental health isn't about us trying to label anybody. It's about walking through it. It's about being there with everybody as they go through their trauma, as they go through their depression to help give them tools to use. Unfortunately, therapy is not like a magic wand where one session in you're fixed. It'd be, I mean, it'd be cool, but um, (laughs) that's not how that works, you know? And so I think that a lot of people will get frustrated by that with therapy. And so they'll say like, it's been a few sessions, my kid's not different. And it's like, well, you have a really different view of what mental health is then, don't you? (laughs) You know, it's a lot of that too. Therapy is great. And I feel like a lot of people need to be in it, but let's say you go once a month or whatever it might be. That's not everything. You got to work on yourself. The thing that has gotten me through some of the hardest times is finding those people who will wade in those waters with you. So when they ask how you doing, they actually want to know. The guy at the water cooler does not. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. The The guy on the Zoom call, your client on the Zoom call does not. In fact, you just lost that client. <laughs> you really want to know how my weekend was, do you? No. <laughs> I have been blessed with amazing people who sit at this table every week and go there with me. And, uh, you know, you guys haven't charged me for a single minute of therapy, which is fantastic. <laughs> um, to me, it's finding those people. But not one of those things is in and of itself going to fix your problems. And we all have them. I mean, it's a human experience. It is. In fact, if life was nothing but good, would there be good? Ooh, yeah. That's a deep one. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry to get too deep right at the end. Okay. (laughs) For those who are blessed 
to be in the company of someone who may be going through something and that person who's going through something expresses that they're going through something. How can those that are with that person help? Meaning like sometimes I may not know exactly how to respond. Like you tell me what you're going through and everything. Read the gift to listen. The courage to hear by Carl Jackson. He better, he better sponsor. So one thing that I've learned that has been a really good thing is to just listen and ask that person what they need. I think most people just want to know that someone cares and just is wants to hear what they have to say. They don't necessarily need advice, you know, and I think that that's a really powerful thing when you can actually just sit and listen. So Matt, you're probably right. That book probably does. It actually talks to that specifically. (laughs) Oh, wow. So I've been very, very blessed to have a very, very solid rock friend, companion, I mean, one thing he has taught me in all of this is that I have to be true to me. It all boils back to being a subject matter, expert of yourself. He taught me to be true to me. When I was laying on a gurney and I had already tried, I took all the pills that I could possibly take. And I was laying on a gurney and he said to me, he said, how much of you wants to live? And I lied and I said 5% because in truth, only 0.98% of me wanted to live at that moment. And he looked at me and said, let's go fight for that five. And he told me that I was worth that five. That fucking friend in that moment changed my life. And I don't know who I can be for a person in that moment. That person myself is always, always rooted in God. But I didn't know who I was on this earth until I met a person that was able to reflect it. LaJon Woods. <laughs> the black Jesus. You guys have such a beautiful friendship and relationship. And I don't think there's My anything homie. kinder you can say about some of it. But what I'll say is you blessed us today with your story and your your honesty. Really? Yes. <laughs> beautiful story. Thank you so much, Olivia. That's Thank that you so awesome. much. I'm grateful that I got to listen to Olivia's story today. I'm grateful to be here and talk about mental health. And I just hope that people are, are more open to the mental health experience and recognizing those little triggers, recognizing those little pieces of themselves where, hey, maybe I do need someone outside of my immediate worldview to kind of help me to wade through this and know that I'm not going to go in there and be judged, know that I'm not going to go in and get my head shrunk. <laughs> and so I just, I hope that, you know, people can get that out of this today. That's my last thought. This episode has been the crux of everything. We talked about trying to heal the divide, trying to bridge the gap. Man, if if we all focused on ourselves in a positive way a little bit, there wouldn't be so much hate out there. I hate all Republicans. I hate all Democrats. I hate this group of people. That is a life sentence of frustration, anxiety, stress, And it will all come across on the physical side, too. Why would you put yourself through that? We're in the fog. We didn't realize there is a clearing. Yeah. Life is the fog. Exactly, exactly. And now it's just the clearing. Once again, thank you so much, Olivia Queenie, for being here. Thank you, Mandy. Thank you. And um, this this was awesome. It was. It was awesome. Remember, we're all just trying to make it through. Exactly. (laughs) Let's just have some compassion. Yeah. And when all else fails, boobies. <laughs> Thank you again to our musical guest, Parker Silzer. You can check him out on Instagram at Parker underscore IV because he's the fourth. And you can visit his website at parkersilzer.com. What did you think of this episode? 
Let us know by giving us a rating and a subscription. Even if it's a hate subscription, we'll know. We just went there. Now you can go to Instagram at the Going There Podcast, Facebook at Going There Podcast, or email us at goingtherepodcast at gmail.com. This podcast is made possible by its hosts and Frame One Media in association with Lindsay Baker, Tyler Kubisti, Michael Madgar, Joe Kelly, and Bobby Thomas.